Okay. I'm going to pray. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be in your family, that you're, you've called us uh, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Because we belong to you, we are yours. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I ask that uh, what the material that we cover would not be just information, but that you will use it, Holy Spirit, for uh, transforming our, our hearts, for, inf- for um, feeding our spirits, that we would feast on you and uh, who you are and who you called us to be in relationship to you. I ask that you do exceedingly abundantly more than we can even ask or think this afternoon. I ask this in Yeshua's name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, our next section on the ways of royalty is grace and glory. And we were talking about glory this morning, weren't we, in the, after the worship and during the worship? Is that a setup or what? I think so. <laughs> I'm not sure how. We probably will not cover everything today. We'll, we'll have some more for next Tuesday, I'm sure. What is the way of grace? What is the way of glory? We are, these talks originally came from a long time ago, many years ago. We were sharing the different core values. And this one has to do with an environment of grace. And in the Blazing Fire core values, it says we are a grace-filled people who extend the grace to others that we have received from God. I'm going to go back. We, receive, we forgive others as we have been forgiven and refuse to hold on to offense. Indeed, when we judge others, we lose our ability to reach them. And maybe, uh, Stevie, could you check and see where we are on on the notes? You you all don't have your notes yet, do you? You do? Oh, great. Okay. So you you out there in video land, the, the notes should be attached as well. Very good. What is the way of grace and glory? First, we honor the King of Kings and we live from a wise humility. Grace comes to the humble. Yes, that's, one of, that's a scripture. Humility. I'm uh, under what is. Page one. What is the way of grace and glory? I'm also up there. Along with Aragorn. <laughs> uh, I, really, I really love the way honor and nobility is expressed in the Lord of the Rings, which is why I keep on using pictures from it. <clears throat> Humility means that we're, we are receptive, we are open to influence. It also means strength restrained. I like that. Yeah, strength restrained. 
Do you, do you folks remember the uh, Brené Brown video that Susan showed? She talked about one of the evidences of uh, not being vulnerable is, is kind of our political discourse where I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. You know, with an angry face with a pointing finger. I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. That's the opposite of humility, isn't it? So humility actually involves some level of, of vulnerability, of being receptive, of being willing to, be, uh, to, take, to receive from other people. But since we know that we are also nobility, we, we are not listening because we are, and we are not receiving because we have no other choice or because we have to accept everything people tell us, which is why we are working on boundaries, right? There's boundaries and there's also living out of, from vulnerability, humility. It all fits, flows together, but we always need the Holy Spirit to help us at any given point in time. Humility and authority. Part of humility is understanding what authority we are currently walking in. What authority, what is our sphere? What is our metron? This is from Romans. Dear friends, God is good, so I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That is the most sensible way to serve God. It's not in your notes, but you can write down the, uh, it does have the, uh, the scripture note there. I'll read, start reading again. Dear friends, God is good. Everybody agree? Yay, God is good. So I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That is the most sensible way to serve God. Don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. And when, then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure. Of faith, and that word measure is the Greek word metron. Say metron. 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 It has to do with measure. So, so we're all given a measure. We're all given a, a, I would say a sphere, even though a measure would be like a yardstick. That is our current sphere. Does God sometimes give us upgrades? Yes. <clears throat> and that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We're going from strength to strength and glory to glory. And so we get to, we get in the whole the whole scriptural principle of if you do if you value what you're given if you steward what you're given you'll be, you'll be given more which is a which is a wonderful thing it's a it's an encouragement to continue growing and continue continuing to steward what God has given us so this is a negative thing. Part of it is God's love. When you have a child, how many of you folks have been parents? Um, there's some things you, you, you will um, entrust to your 14-year-old that you won't entrust to your 2-year-old. <laughs> They're growing, aren't they? What, and depending upon how they, what they've done with what you've entrusted them with, they get more. And it's a, it's a progression, isn't it? And uh, that's, that's how Papa God works with us. 
it's good to understand when you're a 14 year old what your parents have entrusted you to and treat that well because then you'll get to get the keys to the car when it's time, right? <laughs> you're thinking about 16. <clears throat> because of his love and his grace, we get to live submerged in that grace, completely covered. <laughs> And that, that picture up there is actually, you may not see it clearly, but there's a treasure chest down, down at the sea, on the seafloor there. We are submerged in grace. We're living from the deep grace that we rec- we've received from God. And we are a grace-filled people who extend grace to others. And we forgive and refuse to hold on to offense. <clears throat> the source of grace is our eternal dad. Let's see if I can raise this up some. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hmm. That's good right there, isn't it? That's amazing. Made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his Grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Our life is thrice a gift. We've been created, we've been redeemed, and we've been given a life that's full of meaning. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift. I want to say gift. Gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's one of the main characteristics of a gift? You didn't work for it, that's right. <laughs> You didn't work for it. If you work for something that was a gift, it really wasn't a gift, was it? So that's why he's talking about grace. He's talking about the gift of God. Our salvation is a gift of God. Our life is a gift of God. Our salvation is a gift. And then on top of that, there's these, there's these things that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do. These good works. Which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is a very mysterious passage to me. He's created, he's created things, he's planned ahead of, for each of us, cool things that we get to do, things that are full of meaning, full of life and full of purpose, because that's who he is. He only knows how to give things that, come, that are out of his own character, right? 
So that's all good news right there. <clears throat> and it says in your notes that the word that is translated grace is in the Greek charis. And it has meanings like graciousness of manner or act, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. has to do with acceptable, benefit, favor, gift, gracious, joy, liberality, pleasure, and thankfulness, thank, thankworthiness. That's all in your notes. That's pretty cool. Grace is a big word, isn't it? <laughs> Caris is a big word. We've been given grace to also give grace. And of his fullness we all we have all received and grace for grace. That's John one sixteen. Does anyone recognize the person in that slide? That's Susan, yes. Yeah, she's ministering deeply to a woman at our, the tent we were part of in Burning Man. Yeah. Grace is given, that we, and we also get to give grace to others because of that. There's a question. Oh, okay. Stretching. Gotcha. <clears throat> and we are... We, for, we are able to be forgiving because we've been forgiven. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Say bearing with one another. And forgiving one another. That's right. Thank you. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Yeah. The word translated forgiving in the Greek, karidzoahi, zomahi, karidzoahi, is the middle voice of that word we just used, karis. To grant as favor, in kindness, pardon, rescue, deliver, forgive, freely give, grant. So it's the same basic word. Forgiveness and, and grace. Isn't that interesting? Wow. <laughs> because of this grace, we get to live free from condemning judgments. When we judge others... In a condemning way, we lose our ability to reach them. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> if we've uh, if if we've made a condemning judgment and we we just think, well, that person is this way and they'll never change. And we kind of accept them as, you know, I condemn you to this definition of who you are. Do, do you think they feel that? Is there something that, does their spirit know about that? Do their emotions know about that? And, and so, are they going to let the wall down with you and let you speak encouragement into their life after that? 
Probably not. <laughs> so that's a really good reason. We'll, we'll take, keep, remember your questions. I'll, we'll, we'll stop in a bit. So that's a really good reason uh, to check our hearts about whether we're making condemning judgments. In James 2, the Apostle Paul said, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Yay! Ah, yay! Grace is an essential aspect of our nobility as daughters and sons of the King of Kings. We are empowered to extend to others the grace that we have received. And we are ambassadors. Did you know, did you know that? We are ambassadors of reconciliation. As ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, we are commissioned to announce God's desire and complete provision for reconciling humans to himself. It is by royal grace that we are now part of God's royal family. And so we live in this grace, live from this grace, and offer this grace to others. In your notes, Second uh, Corinthians 5:18-19. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and was committing to us the word of reconciliation. Wow. Hmm not imputing their trespasses to them. So, it's kind of like we've arrived in a spaceship and we're now speaking to the peoples of Earth saying, God's not angry at you. <laughs> we, <laughs> we come from the Father. <laughs> we come from your Father. And we want you to know He just wants you to come home. He's not mad. He wants you to be reconciled with him. Grace, favor, liberality are our royal prerogative to bestow upon others because we now have more than enough for ourselves. More than enough. <laughs> There's an overflow we want to share with other people. Grace makes room for growth. Grace makes room for people to make mistakes and messes as they learn and grow. Grace does not reject or despise people who, who are less together or mature than I think I am. However tempting that is sometimes to think that way. 
Grace is willing to meet people where they are right now in their spiritual journey. Grace makes room for people to make mistakes and messes as they learn and grow. So how, how else are we going to really learn, be able to live wholehearted than if we, if we feel like we're going to be judged and condemned every time we try something and we mess up? Right? We want, we want that for ourselves, don't we? We want to be able to try things and not be judged or criticized when we make mistakes. We all want that, don't we? Grace extends that to other people. It's really important in a kingdom culture, in a culture of the kingdom of heaven, that people can grow. <laughs> it's really, really important. This culture of honor, this environment of grace, allows people to grow into who they are created to be. And, and, and also we grow in these relationships where grace helps, helps us to forgive each other and, and to bear with one another and encourage each other to clean up our own messes. But <laughs> that's part of it too. <clears throat> grace is believing that Jesus' work on the cross can bring healing and transformation to, for any human willing to accept him. And grace resists forming subtle judgments about people, especially when others try to tear down someone's reputation. Sounds like scenario three we just went through, doesn't it? Grace makes room for people to make mistakes and messes as they learn and grow. Grace does not reject or despise people. I guess I've already read that one. I'm sorry. I gotta move. Um, gotta, I've, I move forward one place and not the other. Okay. <laughs> any questions about that? Or any early, earlier questions, if you still remember it? Um, there was that one lady back there on the. Oh, another question. We'll come back to you. Okay. Um, let's see. When, oh, in Second Corinthian, uh, I think it's the third, third section down. Grace is essential, an essential aspect of our nobility. Yes. And Second Corinthian, when you were talking about, um, it does not impute their trespasses. Uh-huh. And I, I suddenly thought of um, that whole left behind fellow, um, really nice guy, Kirk something. I can't remember. Kirk Cameron, yeah. And I thought about this um, thing that he he used to do with, um, he had this evangelizing method. Yeah. And I wondered if you could, do. You, are you aware of that? I was wondering if you could touch on that. It, the, I guess the method was basically that you go to people and let them know that they're going to hell. Mm. The first approach is you're going to hell. And this is how I know that you're going to hell because, you know, because people, their essential first idea is, I'm a good person. <laughs> you know? And um, so I just wanted you to touch on that, like how uh, um, this approach is so different yes. and so much more healing and 
helps people, I don't know, anyways, yeah. just touching good, on that. Good question. Thank you, Alicia. Um, yes, there, was, there has been um, one stream of thought that you have to get people lost before you can get them saved. And uh, they need to understand their, the terror of their position first. And um, people have done that. Uh, Jonathan Edwards had a, had a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And God actually used that. People are falling down in terror and realizing how much they needed a Savior. <clears throat> so it's not that God doesn't sometimes move through things like that. Uh, but as Chris Ballatin points out, if we quote-unquote get people into the kingdom by scaring them into the kingdom, how do we keep them in the kingdom? Um, not only that, where, where are we heading? Where, where is this all heading? We're, we're heading for a wedding, right? <laughs> so do we want, is, is Jesus looking for a bride that's scared, is being, is being um, coerced and scared into marrying him? I don't think so. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be the relationship I would want with my wife. How much more for Jesus? So, um, this, so that anyway, that's that's a good question. That's and and we, if if you have eyes to see, if you as you read the New Testament, it's it keeps on coming back to these things. You know, um, that we're he's not imputing our trespasses because Jesus uh, pay, paid for them. Uh, it's not like, oh, you have to wait until till Papa's not angry before you can come home. It's like it's like the the story of the. Um, the prodigal, right? He, father's waiting. The father's waiting. He's looking. He's scanning the horizon. And when he sees sees that prodigal returning, he's running. He's he hitches up his his uh, robes and he runs out there, right? That's 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 the Papa I understand. There was another question. Uh, the outline says, when we judge others, we lose our ability to reach them. Yes. So we all we're all guilty of judging. Yes. So usually, I can only speak for myself. When I know I'm judging people, I feel it in my heart. Yes. But what does? How does the Bible define judgment? Is it a clear definition? I think we we have there's I think we have to kind of look at what that means because uh, we're also encouraged to be discerning, right? We're also encouraged to be discerning. So, in fact, that's a gift of the Spirit. Is can discerning. you tell me a scripture or two that I can look at sometime? I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Uh, we're, we're, I, I would encourage you not to believe that this is saying turn off your mind and uh, turn turn off your discernment. Um, and does that make sense? We're not. We're not Matthew asking seven. anybody to be. Uh, he says Matthew 7. Matthew 7. I thank, I thank the floor for that. Whoever's on the floor there. The floor. <laughs> the floor. Matthew 7. One of my favorite passages. Scary but good passage. So we are not to be, I, I would call it not to have a condemning judgment. In other words, having a settled condemning attitude towards people that they're, they're this way and they're never going to change. That's what I mean. But um, Susan, my wife, who I has all, all these great stories I steal. <laughs> um, she, she worked in a previous medical practice and 
the Holy Spirit spoke to her while, while one of the uh, physicians was talking to her and said, he's a liar. Was that because um, there was no hope of, of salvation for this person? No. Was it, did it mean that they were going to stuck being that way forever? No. It meant you need to understand that some of what's going to come out of his mouth, you, 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 need, to be, you need to be careful not to, to take it all in as fact. Does that make sense? So God's going to tell, don't, we're not going to leave our brain, we're not going to leave our discerning gifts uh, when we're, we're relating with each other. He's not asking us to be stupid. <laughs> we get to be wise, right? Wisdom is very highly prized. But it's when we think, oh, I've got myself together, that person is, is evil or whatever, and they're never going to change, and I'm writing them off as being hopeless. That's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of you know, judging that's, that's going to make it hard to reach somebody. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to go on, but good questions. <coughs> Okay, put on your seatbelts. We just talked about that, but now we're going to talk about another aspect about what grace is not. Royal grace is not infinitely tolerant. Bless you. Royal grace is not passive in the face of evil. Royal grace does not accept everything and anything is okay. Grace does not ignore injustice and destructive behaviors. If we look at the life of Jesus, not everything was okay with him. We were just talking about that earlier, right? There's grace for sinners making mistakes. But Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. He, just, he didn't say, oh, there, there, that's fine. Keep on doing what you're doing. It, it'll be, it's, no, it doesn't matter. Things do matter, don't they? And it doesn't work. You know, when we think about our children, for example, it doesn't work for us just to kind of say, well, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you know? No, it's it's totally it's totally okay if you're uh, if you're jumping off the roof, you know. That's <laughs> it's not like that, is it? <clears throat> but grace means we're not uh, we're not hating what's hap- what the, the person, right? Susan talked about that. Uh, sometimes we can hate the sin but love the sinner. Grace does not accept lies, including the lie that all paths are okay and lead to God. That's not going to help people, is it? Grace is not afraid to confront destructive behaviors and beliefs, especially with those I have a relationship with. And grace does not ignore the Holy Spirit when he gives discernment and or warnings. So I shared that earlier story about Susan. The Holy Spirit told her about this one, one person that she was uh, listening to. Uh, 
some of you have a strong gift of discernment and you may have been tempted to uh, be really hard on yourself because it seemed like you were so judgmental. Anybody like that? <laughs> the gift of discernment is important. I don't know how many times I've been saved from from uh, going down the wrong path because Susan has the gift of discernment. Yay. <laughs> I'm a little more pastoral. She's a little more prophetic. And God often puts people like that together because we, we need each other, don't we? <laughs> it goes both ways. <clears throat> so people who tend to be prophetic, who tend to see things in terms of black and right, black and white, right and wrong, you know, that's just your kind of your grid. God's working with you to, to bring in grace. Pardon? And love. and love. Yes. And love. Bring in grace and love. However, it's a mistake to just come, try and turn that off and say, I'm going to, I'm, you know, nya, 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 nya. <laughs> Ignore it. Just, if you get those impressions, just ask Holy Spirit, what do you want me to know about this? And what do you want me to do? It's again, you, you live out of... You, you, get the, you get the promptings, the nudges, and then you ask Holy Spirit, what's going on here? I'm not, I don't, I'm not feeling good about that person. I don't know what it is about them, but I'm feeling uneasy about them. What do you want me to know? So part of it is actually clarity. The, the clarity that comes when you ask the Holy Spirit will help you again to uh, separate love for the person and being aware of things that Holy Spirit wants to, wants to warn you about. Okay, question. Yes. Uh, wait a minute. We've got a, we've got a microphone. Wait for the mic. Thank you. I just did a teaching on the discerning the spirits, and that's why I said love, because I have seen most of the mainline church has misused that gift so much. They're, it's made people suspicious, and they've turned it. But if it's motivated by love, what you just said, you will step back and question I've been on both sides when I first had that gift. I didn't know what to do with it, but God quickly taught me. And now I really filter it through love because it makes a huge difference. Filter through, I like that. Filter it through love. Thank you very much. That's a really, really good point. So um, the gift of discernment is not the same as the, temp, the, the inclination to be suspicious. <laughs> just being suspicious and, and skeptical about everything is not a gift of the spirit <laughs> that's your own internal protector trying to make, trying to make sure that you don't let anybody in <laughs> it happens a lot it happens a lot and uh, again, when you start having those things, you can ask, Holy Spirit, is this from you or is this from coming from somewhere else? Good to, ask, good to check in. In fact, why don't you all say it out loud? It's good to check in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Grace triumphs over offense. Grace chooses love over staying offended. 
Offense drives us apart, but grace enables closeness and unity. Yeah. Offense demands justice on my terms before reconciling. But grace remembers how Jesus suffered to satisfy justice for my offenses and so extends patience to the one offending me. There's a, there's a couple of people raising their hands in the back. Well, I saw Sandra too. Oh, it's a twin question in stereo. <laughs> If you could just quickly repeat the phrase about not, not um, confusing discernment with um, suspicion. With suspicion. Yeah, suspicion is not a gift of the spirit. Grace keeps short accounts. You all know what short accounts means? It means we settle quickly. (laughs) We settle quickly. If someone offends me, it is grace to either quickly discuss the problem with them or just simply forgive them. Either way, grace does not hold on to offense for long. And our core value says uh, we do not hold on to offense that's different from saying we don't get offended because that wouldn't be true. <laughs> but we don't hold on to offense. Grace does not confuse a critical fault-finding attitude with spiritual discernment. So there's another one, critical fault-finding. <clears throat> Grace enables and nurtures life. I just like those pictures, the horse. Looks like a, a, a mare with her, with her colt and, and then a group of, of horses moving. The sense of, you know, we give grace to those who are, you know, especially lots of grace to, to the immature ones that are growing up so that they, they're going to become healthy, happy parts of the, parts of the uh, family or herd in this case, the horses. <laughs> but that grace and tenderness at the early age allows um, allows the fullness, the wholehearted life to come to each one. <clears throat> I'm going to talk for a moment about a covenant of grace. Susan and I actually made a covenant of grace between ourselves. Um, when we started working on our marriage after after I got confronted and <laughs> and uh, some things left, uh, we still had to work on rebuilding the marriage and one of the things we did is we made a covenant of grace with each other and for us, this is a different, little bit different one that you're seeing up there, but for us the covenant of grace was when you say something and I have a choice of different interpretations you know, from really negative to really positive about what you, what you might have meant when you said that to me, I'm going to choose the most positive interpretation. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to assume that you have my best in mind, in heart. 
And so of all the different options of what I could interpret what you just said, I'm going to, I'm going to choose the most positive one. We did that with both of, for both of us. And um, again, it was, that, it was that gift of suspicion that was, <laughs> that was operating that, we were, that uh, we, the Lord was helping us deal with. And we, we just made that really simple uh, covenant and things started changing like that. It was amazing. I, I didn't even think I could remember to keep it in mind, but the Holy Spirit was helping me. So, um, and this is a covenant of grace that uh, up there and in your notes that uh, I got from Danny Silk. I allow you to influence me. You allow me to influence you. I assume the most positive interpretation of what you say to me, and we're willing to die to protect this relationship. The willing to die part means I'm willing to risk even being misunderstood. I'm willing to risk um, experiencing pain to stay in the relationship instead of moving away when something painful happens. Does that make sense? Now we don't owe, you don't owe, I don't owe everyone the same level of commitment and covenant. So everybody take a sigh of relief. We must give some people more priority in our lives than others. And that's okay. Remember Susan, with the, in the boundaries thing, with, there were different circles, you know, about how connected you were. You know, God in the center, family and close friends, other friends, acquaintances, the rest of the world, you know. <laughs> we don't owe everyone the same level of commitment. We can't. We're finite human beings. God can. We can't. So, don't, don't feel like you have to give the same depths of covenant to everyone. But if you make a covenant with someone, you know, do, it, do it in a way that you think is going to work for you based upon the level of relationship you have with that person. Does that make sense? Any questions about the covenant of grace or anything else I just said? Okay. We are going to do an exercise. But the first part does not will mean just you sitting and talking with yourself. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit. So the third one will break up into pairs. So you'll just get to talk to someone near you and briefly share um, your story and the answers to uh, number two. The first thing is I'm inviting you to ask the Holy Spirit Please bring to my mind a time when I experienced grace from someone else. Um, they're also on page, yeah, they're on page four and they're up on the screen. And then after you, uh, that, you remember that, uh, I encourage you to write, write down a bit about the experience. How did it feel? How did it impact your life? Did it change how you perceived the one who it came from? And then I'll have you. Then, after a bit of time, I'll have you uh, break into pairs and and briefly share your story and the answers. Okay. So, thank you. You may begin.